Welcome to Pontifax. I'm Pry. And I'm Bree, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 22, Pope Fabian. Pope Fabio? Fabio. Have you heard of this man before? I don't think so. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like this one is definitely a little bit more famous in the church, because at least this, this is definitely one of the stories I have heard before in my extensive look at papal history, because it's very unique. I just didn't realize how early on in the church he was, so. You know, sometimes you just jog things loose. We'll see what happens here. This is one that if you know it, you're going to hear it and go, yep, I've heard that before. But if not, it's going to be like, what? Okay. (laughs) One thing we can definitely be sure of, though, is he's going to last longer than poor Pope Antares did. We're off to a good start. The early life of Fabian is not super detailed, but it's very important to his story, so here we go. He was born around 200 in Rome, or the area around Rome, and his father's name was Fabius. Fabulous. Fabulous the Fabia. It sounds perfect for Fabio. Either Fabian was a Roman noble in his early life, or he was a commoner in Rome. But either way, what's really important here is that he's a layman. He did not grow up, enter, or rise through the ranks of the church in his early life. So he didn't grow up in the church. He did not enter the church. He did not rise through the ranks in the church in his early life. Either way, he is a common or he is a noble. And as many sources put it, he was, quote, of no real significance. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Another source says he was a layman and not a very important one, so he is average Joe Schmo Fabian. And one day, average Joe Schmo Fabian comes to Rome, because he probably lived, you know, just outside of Rome, from, from what we can understand. Go visit the city, that seems logical. And accounts differ, because either he was coming from a friend's house, or he was coming into the city from the countryside, or... He was drawn by his curiosity. Either way, what happens next is recorded by Eusebius in Church History, Volume 6, Chapter 29, and it means that it's time for... Miracles. So he comes to Rome. When he comes to Rome, he comes upon the assembly, where the election process is taking place to replace Pope Antares, who has suddenly died. It's related that... Some of the bishops have been considering the election for 13 days by this point, and that there were several prominent church leaders who were being considered for the position. But it seems like they might not have had a solid enough majority to get all of the bishops to agree on the outcome. So there's a couple major figures here that are looking like they're the good candidates to vote for, but no one has quite enough to take precedence here. and. Fabian being there, presumably along with a lot of other witnesses, are curious about the outcome and the future of the church. They're worried because this is a big deal. Uh, we, We don't have a pope all of a sudden, but they're just watching. These people are really of no consequence. Even Eusebius says, although present, Fabian was in the minds of none. He's literally just a man who is there and watching. He's just interested. Then out of nowhere, 
a dove lands on top of Fabian's head. A big ol' white burb perches right on top of his head. It's not like some sort of albino pigeon? Nope. It is a dove, and it is perched right on top of his noggin. Put a burb on it. And this stuns the entire assembly, who immediately saw this moment as a clear imitation of the biblical moment when the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus at the moment of his baptism by John the Baptist. And they always have that dove, and it's got some sort of sprig of something in its mouth. I forget what it is. And it's always come down to touch somebody. And it is touching Fabian on the head. And therefore, this dove was determined to be a sign of divine inspiration, and layman average Joshmo Fabian is unanimously chosen to be the new pope. Well, the bird has spoken. That's exactly what happened. In the words of Eusebius, he wrote, Thereupon all the people, as if moved by one divine spiritness, as moved by one divine spirit, with all eagerness and unanimity, cried out that Fabian was worthy, and without delay they took him and placed him upon the Episcopal seat. And God had marked Fabian out as a worthy successor of St. Peter, with a bird that is a known symbol of peace, and now he's Pope. Poor layman Joshmo is now Pope. Was he a nope pope? Did he say no? Well, in the article Pope St. Fabian and God's Unexpected Call, the author Matthew Sewell puts it rather well. So he says, Think for a moment of what must have been running through Fabian's mind at the moment that the dove landed on his head. Not only would there have been surprise at a bird perching on his face, but the simultaneously turning and shouting from the crowd followed by a sudden urging into a role he could never in a million years have expected for himself. Well, like, this man's on vacation. <laughs> he's coming to check it out. And a bird landed on his face. And now he's Pope. Yep. It's the ultimate clerk's, like, I'm not even supposed to work today. And by the way, you know, usually the next couple sentences that follow through here are, historical sources say that this is apocryphal. No, every single source I read says that this is true. That this is what happened. No source calls this into question. Burb landed on his head and they went, Pope man! It's a bird, it's you! They must have been at a stalemate for voting. Yeah, they were completely at a stalemate. It had been 13 days of election consideration. They weren't getting anywhere, and so the burb has spoken. The bird is the word? <laughs> I didn't want to say it. <laughs> And surprisingly enough, with everything else that has gone on in the papacy, the dove is going to be quite prophetic in more ways than one, because Fabian's papacy is going to be a lot more peaceful than the others have been, mostly. Does he get to go home and be like, Mom, I guess I'm going to be Pope right now? If he did, there's no record of it. He's just shoved into the papacy. Write to your family. Don't visit them. They can come here. You can summon them. You are the Pope. So. We're starting off on a really good note, because first off, Emperor Maximinus Thrax is going to die in 238, so he has no time to beat up on the Christians at this point. Man, he was so salty. Oh, he's so, so far from the saltiest man that we're going to deal with. Oh, oh no, these poor Christians. But he dies. And then there's going to be the whole messy turnover of Emperors Gordian 1, 2, and 3, and Balbinus and Pupianus. Yes, you heard me. That is his name. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> Who thought that was a good idea? His parents named him that. Yep. That's his name. <laughs> and that is, in fact, the correct pronunciation, so. He doesn't do particularly well. And if you want more information about this messy period and the poopy anus. I can't. Why? My point there was, check out Totella's Rankium. You should listen to the whole episode <laughs> where they're trying to cover this emperor. It's, yeah. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, for our purposes, we just need to acknowledge that while this is all happening with all of these emperors, there's too much going on to deal with Christian persecutions. And after all of that, we're going to get Emperor Philip. What a nice normal name. Although he is known as Philip the Arab, so... It's a little weird. Phil Phil is much better. Emperor Phil is pretty tolerant, if not entirely accepting, of the Christians in Rome. We have persecution of Christians actually stopping in Rome at this time. And we know that Fabian was actually able to have a positive relationship with the imperial court in Rome, because at this time, he was able to have the bodies of Pope Pontian and Hippolytus brought back from the mines in Sardinia, where they died, for properly reverent Christian burials in Rome. This is not something that could have been done without the approval and permission of the emperor, and I don't think Pupianus would have given it to them, so. There was even a legend that Fabian baptized Emperor Philip and his son, although this is clearly just a legend and no scholarly source puts any weight or validity in behind this because that would change a lot of things. It would be a pretty cool story because if it were true, it would throw the whole history of Christianity and the emperors of Rome, first Christian emperor of Rome, Constantine, and all of that all into turmoil, but there's just nothing to back it all up. So it's just purely liber pontificalis. So, what's his son's name? Ah, uh, Marcus Julius Philippus Severus. Philippus II, as he's known. Wow, what a Roman name. Even though he's known as Philip the Arab? Well, things have been pretty good at this moment for the Christians. But this isn't to say that all of Fabian's papacy is sunshine and roses, because, remember, this is a time in the church of reincorporation and reconciliation with the schismatics who had been under Hippolytus. And just because Hippolytus and Pontian were able to make up due to the extremity of their circumstances, Dying in the mines will do that to you. It will. And, you know, just because the Catholic Church chose to run with the readmitting of the followers of Hippolytus doesn't mean that all of the difficulties are instantly solved. Part of the reason Hippolytus left was because they forgave too many people. Yeah, right? Imagine they all come back and they're like, yeah, come on. And they're like, we knew it. Yep. So that's going to be a whole thing as we go. So, you know... Is that really one of their problems? It's, um, it's something that we're going to see come up very shortly. Uh, it doesn't quite come up as much in Fabian's time, but that is a thing, so. They are salty about it. They are so salty about it, and let's just say they're not the only ones who are going to be salty. All right. But for now, what we need to know is, like, the vitriol of Hippolytus is gone, and it's not a perfect transition. You know, the, the schismatics still had concerns about the purity of the church and the absolution of adultery and murder and 
We don't have a lot of resources to tell us exactly how this is being handled, just that people are concerned. Also, we need to address that one of the new bishops that Fabian is going to appoint in his ordinations, which by the way, he has five, 22 priests, seven deacons, 11 bishops. One of them is called Novatian, and he could have been a follower of Hippolytus since he had some similar views, but put a pin in his name because we are coming back to Novatian very shortly. There is also the small matter of a new heresy that decides to pop up. And Fabian's going to go ahead and condemn it right away. And this is the heresy of Privatus, the Bishop of Lambesa in Africa. Now, we get this information from Cyprian, who documents the heresy and says that Privatus has been condemned. They don't explain why, the sources are shady, but I'm just going to read you what we have from Cyprian so that we know. He wrote, But I intimated to you, my brother, by Felicianus, that there had come to Carthage Privatus, an old heretic in the colony of Lambesa, many years ago condemned for many and grave crimes by the judgment of ninety bishops and severely remarked upon in the letters of Fabian and Donatus, also our predecessors, as it is not hidden from your knowledge, who, when he said that he wished to plead his cause before us in the council which we held on the Ides of May, then passed, and was not permitted, made for himself that Fortunatus, a pretended bishop worthy of his college. And there, and there had also come with him a certain Felix, whom he himself had formerly appointed a pseudo-bishop outside the church in heresy. So this Privatus guy is not doing good things. Whatever they are, he's kind of setting up some bishops that he shouldn't be. He's kind of skirting the rules, and Fabian's going, nope. Not having any of that. We also have Eusebius telling us that at this time, Origen, who had been condemned and uncondemned and condemned, wrote to Fabian to defend his writings since Alexandria and Rome had condemned him, but it doesn't record if Fabian responded at all. We have the letter of him trying to defend himself, but that's it. Fabian's gonna carry on with his papacy. It's kind of interesting to see how someone who was absolutely a layman would handle aspects of the church. And one of them is that he has a very important administrative impact on the church. He adjusts the actual structure in the church by dividing it into seven districts that he calls diaconates, each to be supervised by a deacon. We've seen this kind of thing before in the very earliest of the church, but it's been a while since any administrative change has really gone down. And this makes sense because the church has been fluxing between persecutions and schisms and drama, and we are far from being done with those things. So for this small, calm moment in time, there's a little bit of reevaluation going on on how the ever-growing city of Rome is actually being dealt with. It's also said that he appointed seven subdeacon notaries to basically form a committee to collect and archive the records of the martyrs in the church. No, don't do it. Yeah, it's what Antares wanted to do, and might, he might have been executed, but clearly things are going smoother for Christians because Fabian's actually able to do it, to account of their lives and meld them with any existing records of court proceedings against the martyrs and records of their execution and the whole shebang. 
And again, this emphasizes how important it was for the church at this time to start recording in detail with accuracy these stories that they wanted to carry forth. So I'm kind of hoping that research is going to get a little easier from here. Wishful thinking. But they're going to try and make my job easier. So he's probably going to get a point for that. I do love how you're just completely biased. I am. I'm not even sad about it. This is what this show is. If you don't think it's biased, you're on the wrong show. Oh no, I'm in the wrong place. I have to go. Come on, you have some pretty strong opinions here. I do. <laughs> it's also said that Fabian added some minor clerical orders to the church, which are porter, lector, exorcist, and acolyte. But this one is Liber Pontificalis and can be more accurately dated to later on in the church history. How many exorcisms are happening in ancient Rome that it needs to appoint exorcists? Well, uh, clearly a couple. And you remember Linus had to exorcise somebody and pull the demons right out of him. And that's, you know, not didn't go well for him. Yeah, but that was a while ago. He, We've also already talked about acolytes being in the church. So this is, you know. This was clearly not something that Fabian did. But he also invested in the expansion and construction of the Catacombs of Calixtus, which were at this time in history. Now, without a doubt, the primary burial spot for Christians in Rome. I like that you talk it about it like it's some hot sort of like real estate. Well, I mean, at the time it was because you have to remember that the church is not a legal entity so they are not allowed they're not allowed to own land they're not this place that they have despite it being so important to them is only theirs because wealthy actual citizens of rome gave it to them at some point and it could be taken away at any moment that's fair funnily enough probably going to happen pretty soon so no the Liberian catalog says he initiated considerable work on the tombs and, of course, formally say that Ponchin was buried here once he was brought back, so it's good. Then, like some of his predecessors, Fabian tried his hand at missionary work for the church. In 245, he apparently consecrated seven bishops, because he really likes the number seven, to be missionaries to Gaul. And the Liberian catalog gets quite specific about this. The seven bishops and where they were headed to, respectively, are Gatian to Tours, Trophimus to Arles, Paul to Narbonne, Saturnine to Toulouse, Denis to Paris, Ostromini to Clermont, and Marshall to Limoges. And by the by, the one going to Paris, St. Denis, he is going to be martyred by beheading. And then he apparently picks up his head and walks six miles, and he's still sermonizing the entire time. It's like that chicken that lived for, like, three years. Yeah, so apparently this is a thing. Like, this is a thing in the church. There is a name for this type of saints. They are called the cephalophores, and they are the head carriers. Ooh. So St. Dennis takes his head, he walks six miles, he sermons the whole time, and he's the patron saint of Paris, so he was appointed by Fabian. I love the, ah, yes, you can still speak with your vocal cords disattached. Maybe it was just, just coming out. Fry, it's miracles. I think you're right. You're f***ing right. First I imagine, like, the head talking, yeah? 
Yep. But then I imagine, like, the vocal cord would still be attached to the neck, so it would just be, like, a sound horn coming out of his neck. That is so detailed for this moment. (laughs) What is happening? (laughs) He's not really sermonizing, it's just sort of a... Well, I think even that, at that point, would be... Miracles. I don't know. That's an image I'm going to go to bed with tonight. You did this to yourself. I know. Well, I mean, if you look up St. Dennis, every single picture of him is holding his own head. I'm looking. Oh, not two ends, just the one. One single end. Yeah, there's his head. It's very spurty. Spurty? Why you gotta make it? Yeah, no, the picture I found, his head, his neck, oh, his neck wound is like doing like an anime spurt. Oh, really? Oh, I don't yeah. see that one. Oh my god, what? <laughs> um, let me... Oh, oh, yes. Oh, dear. See, I, was, I found mostly sculptures, but that is that is a spurty neck. Wow. So the, all of these are spurty. What did you Google? <laughs> I just... I spelled Dennis wrong. Whoa! <laughs> I want to point out that all of the pictures you're sending me... Those heads don't look like they're doing no talking, okay? Like, he's sermonizing out of his neck. That's just... See, this is the one I'm used to seeing of St. Dennis with his head. He looked... That head looks like he could talk. Yeah, that looks like a talking head. So there you go. That is him. He is... He's appointed by Fabian. So this... This this very famous patron saint of Paris, appointed by Fabian. We have that. I mean, we we should point out that even though we're talking about missionary work to Gaul, it's not like Gaul didn't have a Christian presence. We have already talked about Leon and its bishops, Irenaeus, and that the Montanists had gone and spread there, but they're just expanding their reaches and founding new churches and the whole thing. Just in time for more persecution. Because the flux is back. We're just going to need a persecution soundbite. Persecution. Persecution time! You could make a song. The flux is back. Emperor Philip dies in 249, and he is succeeded by Emperor Decius. And Decius has no time for the Christians whatsoever. Remember when you said Maximinus Thrax was the saltiest? (laughs) Decius is going to make him look like a joke, okay? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. This is a man who clearly believed that the church was a direct threat to the empire and that the only way that the Roman world was going to be stable was to have uniformity. Clearly, he did not ask Pope Victor how that was going to go for him, but Philip dies and the Christians are almost immediately under attack. And Decius orders that every citizen in the whole of the Roman Empire is now required to perform a religious sacrifice to the pagan gods under supervision so that it can be recorded. So if you are a citizen of Rome, you have to go and sacrifice to the pagan god in my name or, hmm, not going to go well. You're going to be dead if you don't do that. So you can pretty much see where this is going to go because a lot of Christians are going to submit to this for fear of their lives. and. As a result, there's going to be a lot of criticism towards them about the church having grown soft and spiritually fat and lazy and even flabby and weak for not having the courage to stand up and say yes to martyrdom. But man, does the person who say that ever seem like holier-than-thou bullshit? 
as crappy as all of that judgment is, it can definitely not be put up against Fabian because he definitely did not submit to the order. He sets an example to his flock and was martyred first, along with any other Christian who followed his example on January 20th, 250. Reports differ of how, either by straight-up execution, by beheading, or really poor treatment in prison, but either way, Cyprian and Jerome definitely confirm he is martyred. And this persecution will be the first Christian persecution that will expand across the whole of the empire and lead to huge devastations of the Christian population. Like, we have looked at little persecutions that have happened across the empire. We have seen state-sponsored persecution happening in Rome. This is the whole of the Roman Empire. All Christians everywhere, pagan sacrifice or die. And Fabian is now dead. He has killed their pope. And so then he goes and bans the church from electing a successor. So the church is going to have its first lengthy sede vacante of 14 months until the emperor actually leaves Rome to deal with the Goths, where he's going to be killed in the Arbitrus battle. But until that point, no new pope. How long did you say? 14 months. We've had a pretty direct succession up until this point. They're going to go over a year without anybody leaving the church while they're all being killed or made to sacrifice to pagan gods. It's a bad, bad time for the church. It is. It seems very poor. Fabian was buried in the cemetery of Calixtus, which is no surprise, and his tomb marker is still present there today, despite the fact that it is broken. And like the others, it reads, Fabian, Bishop and Martyr. And he was moved to St. Sebastian's by Pope Clement IX in the 17th century in the Albani Chapel, where they dedicated it to him, and was rediscovered in 1915. And that's Pope Fabian. We need to rank this man. Papatum infallium. <laughs> I, I cannot think of a more popely impact on the church than divine intervention. It is pretty wild. And not only did Joe Schmo become pope, he organized the church admin, he collects the acts of the mar martyrs for posterity and for future historians who want to do podcasts, he sends missionaries to Gaul, he affirms the reconciliation of Hippolytus, he gives a Christian burial to Hippolytus and Pontian, brings their bodies back, then we have St. Cyprian, who is the Bishop of Carthage, writing to Fabian's successor, telling him that Fabian was an incomparable man whose glory in death matched the holiness and purity of his life. You know, even Novatian, who's going to cause all sorts of problems later, will refer to Fabian with the noblest of memory. He's substantially important in the history of church, according to most articles about him. He made an example of himself during a time when they literally had to give up their faith and commit idolatry. He died for the faith. He's hugely respected. He's a symbol of peace, courage, considered highly, highly valuable. Like, this is gonna be... This is gonna be a big one. Like, he did really, really good for Joe Schmo. Um, you know, I, I want to give him, like, a seven or eight, honestly. Okay, which one? Uh, let's go with an eight. Let's be generous. I'm going to give him an eight as well, because I think 
I think what he did, especially as somebody who had no theological teachings, he hit all of the points on the church that usually go ignored. And that's going to make them stable enough to survive some of the stuff that's coming next. I think that's fair. I think he gets a 16 really, really well. Fructus prohibitum. Fructus prohibitum? He's holy and pure, and the only thing about him that's potentially scandalous is that he was Joe Schmo, simple farmer man, and now he's Pope, and if it's not divine intervention, it's scandal, I guess. I mean... Yeah, I gotta give him a zero. So that is a zero for Fructus Behavidum. Seculari Impactum. It starts off really good. <laughs> I don't think you could have a more impact on a secular person to make them the Pope. That's a pretty good secular impact. Uh, he was in a good time of peace. He did a lot there, but then the peace is over and the resistance of the Christians to the orders of Emperor Decius is going to put them at odds with the pagans. So that is definitely having an impact on the pagans. There is a secular impact in here. It's not a great one. He also sent all those missionaries places, France. Yeah, he did. So he's making some new Christians just in time for them to die, I guess. There's something there. What do you think? What do you want to give him? Let's give him a four. Okay. I'm going to give him a two for the missionaries. But I can't give him more because of, you know, putting putting them at odds with the pagans. Not going to be a good thing. So that's a six. Fossium Sanctus. Okay, so <laughs> we are going to judge based on his most commonly attributed photo. I hate when you laugh at them. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's different. Ooh. ooh. <laughs> it's very apocryphal. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I laughed. He's, uh, kind of looks like an old woman. Kind of. Yeah. It's clearly apocryphal because he's wearing papal vestments that don't exist yet. His fingers are broken. His fingers are so broken. Do they have extra joints? Yeah. Uh, maybe. Maybe. I'm... <laughs> I don't like this one because there's not a burb in it. Oh, look. Look at all the weird veins on his hands. <laughs> Who did this? What is that? Okay, he must be a bodybuilder under there who just did some lifting, because you don't get vascular like that for no freaking reason. What the hell? Oh, you can see the vein up on his uh, forehead, too. Does he have a veiny forehead? Oh my <laughs> it's god. It's nice to his eyebrow. Look at it. I'm so mad. I'm so mad at that. Vasc I Have I ever told you how much I hate vascularity? No. Oh my god, I hate it. I hate it. Like, obviously being in, like, the fitness world and the fitness model world, people get really, really lean, and that's kind of the thing. And lots of people like to go, oh, I'm so lean, look how vascular I am. And I'm always like, bleh, bleh, bleh. I just, I hate it. Well, I mean, my, my husband is mostly veins. Yeah, but he's not, like, freaky pulsating veins, like, on purpose, because that's, that's, that's the fitness way, and it's gross. No. He hasn't curated that as an aesthetic. That is just how he is. <laughs> what do you want to give this picture? I'm I'm real mad at it now. So I was going to give it like a kind of midway score, but then I saw the creepy veins, which have now, <laughs> because the broken hand knocked it down like one, and the creepy veins knocked it down like two. So we're at like a two. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving him a two. I'm not giving him more for this picture. 
And it's really unfortunate because this is this is his most well-known image, so this is what we're rating on, which is fair. But I would have much, much rather rated him on this one. Oh, he looks much better here. So much better. And there's a burb. He gets a burb and a forky beard. <laughs> he does have a forky beard. He looks very pleased. I don't know what he's holding. Is that a scale? What's he holding? <laughs> It's a palm frond for the martyrdom thing. <laughs> Are you sure it's not a kale? It is. That would be such a big piece of kale. We also have this really boring one that um, we always use as a secondary photo, so there's that. Oh, his tonsure's all lumpy. He has such big eyes. I mean, they usually do in these. They usually have, like, borderline Astro Boy eyes in these. And he has real, real strong dry queen brows. And he's got some contouring. Those ones might have been better to rate on, but that's not how this works. Otherwise, we'd be biasedly picking weird photos all the time. Picking the prettiest photo. Yeah, he gets rated on his weird vascular grossness. You didn't even see it. I know, I'm so mad. I'm so mad about vascularity, so. Huh. Instant turnoff. Not having any of it. He gets a one for Facium Sanctus. Tempus Pontificus. So we have the 10th of January, 236, to the 20th of January, 250, which is 14 years and a score of 3.5. That's not a bad amount. He did a good papacy. Yeah. That's pretty good. So that gives him 3.5 for Tempus Pontificus. For someone who got uh, shoved in off the street and told to be Pope. Yeah, he did good. He could have resigned. We had that as a choice. Yeah, we're going to have people who are not on board. So, but he was just kind of like, oh, I guess this is where I die now. All right, everybody. It's the canon bonus round. Do, 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 do. Yep, he is a saint. His feast day is January 20th, which he shares with St. Sebastian. He is still currently entombed in the church of St. Sebastian, so they're often considered together as a whole, depicted in art together. He is not a patron saint of anything, but if he is not the patron saint of burbs, I need to rectify this now. Like, he needs to be the Barbie saint. The saint of birds. Not birds, barbs. Barb, barb, barb. He's the patron saint of burbs, very specifically. Barb is the word. <laughs> barb is the ultimate word. At least we didn't go with vascularity. No, no, no. No, I refuse. Can he be invoked against vascularity? Yes. I'm putting that in there. We have uh, Pope Urban, who is invoked against storms and lightning, so there we go. Burbs invoked against vascularity. Yep. And we also have the prayer to St. Fabian because he's so notable in the church that he has a very specific prayer, which says, Pope St. Fabian, it's so easy to believe that peace means a life without conflict or suffering. Help us to see that the only true peace is the peace Christ brings. Never let us as a church or as individual Christians choose to deny our beliefs simply to avoid an unpleasant situation. Amen. This thing is cited everywhere to him, so like this is this is liturgical prayer. Nice. Also I have to I had do you have to say I had like the gut reaction lapse Catholic say amen when they say amen. 
<laughs> did you do it? Nope. I held it in. <laughs> so this brings us to his final score, which is a reputable 27.5. Nice. It's pretty good, considering he has no scandal score. Yeah. That puts him in... He might be in... Nope. Fourth place. He's Pope number 22 and he's in fourth place. Decent. So that brings us to our final question about Fabian. We gotta ask, is he pizzazzy? Is he popey? Is he worthy of a papal bull? I mean, I kind of want to give it to him. I 100% want to give it to him. He's got that bird and the bird talked to me. Yes, it's divine intervention for real. So congratulations, Pope Fabian. You are worthy of a papal bull. But that's not it for this episode, because we have a couple other things to cover here. And the first is Pope Watch. Pope Watch. Quick note here, on October 13th, Pope Francis laicized two more Chilean bishops involved in the sex abuse scandal that came to public attention in May. Get him out! And he he's getting him out. This is Archbishop Francisco Jose Cosjuenes and Bishop Marco Antonio Ordains Fernandez. The statement issued by the Vatican stated that the men were laicized for the abuse of minors and that the evidence was so concrete of their crimes that they weren't even going to hold a canonical trial which also means that the decision is not subject to appeal. And the following day was the canonization of Pope Paul VI and Blessed Oscar Romero, who is now Saint Oscar Romero, that we discussed in Evaristus' episode. We're not going to go back over why they're being canonized, but for the ceremony, Pope Francis was to use a chalice, pallium, and pastoral staff that had belonged to Pope Paul VI, and would also wear the blood-stained rope belt of Oscar Romero that is being kept as a relic. And speaking of relics, we are going to just briefly touch on all of the relics that are being recognized for the individuals becoming saints. So for Paul VI, there is a piece of the blood-stained shirt from his visit to Manila Airport where he was stabbed. Why is everything covered in blood? It's not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. So for Oscar Romero, we have the rope belt, and we have a piece of bone. For Francesco Spinelli, we have a foot bone. For Vincenzo Romano, we have a vertebrae. Nunzio Sulprizio has a finger bone. Catherine Casper has a bone fragment from her spine. But not a vertebrae. Nope, just a bone fragment. And Nazaria Ignazia March Mesa has a lock of hair. And thank you to Cindy Wooden, who is one of our greatest sources for to-date Catholic-slash-Vatican news, for posting that on Twitter. Thank you very much. The next thing we have to do is plenary indulgences, because we have new Patreons! Yay! Yay! We just crushed another goal on Patreon. I'm so, so shocked. We actually hit it. We had been, like, hovering $1 below it for, like, a month. And and now we have cracked that open, so that's going to open up some doors for us. So we need to relieve some people of their temporal punishments. We absolve Smoots, Smoots. from Roll for Wenches, Smoots, Helena Clark, Yannick DeMole, and Gabby. I'm hoping I'm saying that right, Gabby, because it's Gabby with one B. If I'm not, let me know and we'll redo it for you. Yes, we will say your name correctly. 
unlike the Latin. Ego te absolvo. And we're going to finish this episode with some thank yous. So Noah at the History of Vikings, he made a really nice recommendation for us. So thank you for that. And thank you to the Partial Historians for putting us on their recommendations page. That page has a lot of heavy hitters on it. It's kind of daunting. They have good taste. What can we say, right? Thanks for putting us on there. We need to thank the Roman and Byzantine History Group on Facebook because they post all of our episodes. The History of Spain for putting us uh, as their first recommendation on their email list. So that's pretty cool. Tales from Darker Dragons Inn for not only helping us with something, but getting the word out about us. Tales from the Dark Dragons Inn. Yes, that's Ray. Ray is great. Yes, he, he's, he was super helpful in solving that problem we were having. So that's great. We need to thank the Can't Make This Up podcast for recommending us, the History of Italy podcast for recommending us, and Paul Crown for emailing us some information about Forky Beards. We are now in the know about Forky Beards. What did the email say? I will send it to you because we're not going to give away all the secrets about Forky Beards. We are in the know now. Our, our beardless faces know all of the secrets, so... So, thank you very much, Paul, for emailing us all the secrets. <laughs> we can be found on most major podcatching platforms, including Spotify. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook as PontifaxPod. Feel free to message us. We usually always respond. If you want to send us a more long-form message, request, or otherwise get a hold of us, our email is PontifaxPod at gmail.com. For our bonus episodes and exclusive content, head over to our Patreon page and donate. That's patreon.com forward slash pontifaxpod. If you feel the need to buy us a tea, because we're not really coffee drinkers, but we do love tea, you can throw us a few bucks in our PayPal account at paypal.me forward slash pontifaxpod. As always, please subscribe and rate and review on iTunes or whatever you use. It really helps us get recommended to other people and allows more people to find us. Thank you, and goodbye. 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 Good boy. Arrivederci. Hasta luego. Mm -hmm.